0: Cam, I'm disappointed in you. I heard myself singing through my microphone. We can't let that happen. I had to cut it. We're going to be in Luke 19, moving into 20, 1941 to 28 today. And as you're flipping there, I want to ask you a question. i move that a little blower. Who's your favorite person and what's your favorite subject? Kim laughs. Oh, we, who's who? So think about it. who's your favorite person. What's your favorite subject? I think we might all have a similar answer. Amen. Now we might not want to say that, but who's the first person you ask how they're doing when you wake up? Who, who's the first person you're concerned about when you roll out of bed? Who's first person say, how'd you sleep last night? Who do you ask, what you want for breakfast today? We we love us. We, We love to talk about us. We love to think about us. But do you know that's not really the way it's supposed to be? And when we understand reality more fully, that's not the way it is little by little. Little by little, our favorite person, little by little, our favorite subject becomes God himself. And as we look at scripture, I love these sections where God just boasts in God. And if we're able to look at them as God intends us to, we can't help but boast and delight in God and little by little see how Jesus becomes our favorite person. And as he does, how, how little we need to think about ourselves because his eye is constantly upon us. Let's take a look at this. Are you all with me? I got to tell you, I cannot wait until we can get rid of these face coverings because it is so hard to preach without knowing if you all are like open eyes, sleeping on me, smiling, frowning, sticking out a tongue. Like, "Woo, it's coming, it's coming, right? I heard a rumor by 2035 we should be able to get there. 1940, anyway, 1941. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. (laughs) He entered the temple and began, Is that me? I apologize. Is that me banging? Yes? What is doing? And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men, of the people were seeking to destroy him but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words one day as jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up saying to him tell us by what authority you do these things or what is it or who is it that gave you this authority he answered them i also will ask you a question now tell me was the baptism of john from heaven or from man and they discussed it with one another saying If we say from heaven, he'll say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they didn't know where it came from. And Jesus said to him, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of the Lord. This is going to drive me crazy. It's going to drive you crazy. What is it? Is the volume up too high on the back thing? No? I'll just... I'll hold perfectly still, or I'll turn this off and yell, and then you'll hear me that way. We're picking up on a verse, we, we, a section we finished with two weeks ago, and I want to do that because I want to break this text into three parts. Grief for the lost, passion for true worship, and authority over all. So let's start with grief for the lost. We're getting a glimpse of Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus is like. And when he drew near, so what's going on here? Well, the triumphal entry, remember? Jesus was in Jericho. You got blind Bartimaeus. You got Zacchaeus. Then he goes to Bethany. Then he's coming in from Bethany. He got the donkey, and he rode on the donkey. And they're coming in. They crest the hill. He sees Jerusalem. This is Monday. He he begins weeping over Jerusalem. The people are cheering. Hosanna. They're throwing cloaks. It's all going good. But wait, wait a minute. Look at this. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And we talked two weeks ago how that word for weeping is a snot snot type weeping, not the little Denzel tear. You guys remember that? So he's bawling over Jerusalem. And, And you stop and think, it's called the triumphal entry, but why wouldn't it be called the tearful entry? Put yourself in the context. The multitudes of people, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people lining the way in, chanting, waving palm branches, throwing cloaks, shearing, cheering, Hosanna, Messiah has come. They're they're, they're singing hymns and psalms. Jesus is elevated above them on the donkey. People are euphoric. And what is Jesus doing? He's crying. It doesn't fit. Why is he crying while the people are celebrating what's going on? Well, he tells us. All right, this is going to drive me crazy. Hang on a minute, guys. I know, right? We're going we're gonna to flip this through here. Oh, my goodness. See what happens if we're not with each other for a week? Your pastor falls completely apart. Can't even get my, my stuff together. Now I'm all, like, interwired. Here we go. All right. Put this on the outside. It's like a magic trick for the kids so he's crying he's coming and he tells us why he's saying would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace what are the things that make for peace so remember it's it's a narrative it's flowing the things that make for peace faith and repentance remember blind bartimaeus and zacchaeus huh jesus just showed us Faith and repentance. If you had known the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from you. That's a, that's a judgment. That's a, that's a, he's saying, but now. These things came, I came, I offered, you rejected, but now they're going to be hidden from you. For the days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus isn't crying because like, oh, Jerusalem's going to get messed up and it's such a pretty temple. No, he's crying because he knows the fate that awaits the people who reject him. Here's a question I bet you've never thought about. When's the last time you snot cried over lost people going to hell? How much do we actually really care about lost people separated from God, going to hell? Can I just tell you something uncomfortable that, that comes up because it hasn't come up in a little bit? One of the saddest things one of the saddest things is when a lost person dies, period, end of statement, final. Full stop. But but in American Christianity, we have this this little dance we do. It's so horrible we have to dance around it. So-and-so died. But they may have been saved. I was in a a, a meeting with a a group of guys in ministry, which really shocked me, that context. One of the guys, um, father-in-law's died. And he said, but I think he might have been saved because... He used to go to church sometimes, it was a very liberal church, and he subscribed to the daily bread. You know what the daily bread, you know, this devotional, if, if you subscribe to that, just don't tell him you subscribe to it. He went to a, a really liberal, the, the, theologically liberal church every once in a while, and he subscribed to the daily bread, and he never really said anything bad about Jesus, so he's pretty sure he's saved. Now here's what's going on. If he wasn't saved and he died, well, that's what Jesus is weeping over. It's the most horrendous fate you can ever comprehend. And we want to dance around that. Do you know a Christian person isn't that hard to tell? They're not that... Now, in a snapshot, sometimes it's tricky. Because in a snapshot moment of life, we might not be acting like a saved person, right? We're recovering sin addicts. We might be acting like just heathen, lost folks, full on, even for a bit of an extended period of time. But... But over a period of time, it's not that hard to tell if someone has been born anew by the Spirit. Why? Because little by little, noticeable, they start to live like a new creation. Jesus becomes something spectacular. They begin to love Jesus and love others and and follow Jesus in probably the most demonstrable ways. They notice and fight sin. But we all do this to an extent, don't we? And there's a proper biblical way to hang on to the hope that there are going to be some surprises in heaven, right? You're going to find some surprises where, what are you doing here? And their response will be, I can ask you the same thing. It's the same answer. It's called grace, right? But some people, you just, there are going to be some surprises. But we need to not try to dance around this awkwardness by by this assumption that, you know, I, I think I do it with my parents. My parents are not saved. If they were to die this week, let's say in a car accident, my first reaction is, well, maybe they were listening to a Christian radio station and came to faith at the last minute. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. But how much more attentive should I be to the fact that they need to hear of the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, and the wrath of Christ. We'll see that in a minute, so they might turn them and be saved, because I should be not weeping outside all the time, but broken-hearted inside over the fate of lost people, marveling that I am not one of them by grace through faith. A man named J.C. Ryle said this. Hmm. We know but little of true Christianity. If we do not feel a deep concern about the souls of the unconverted, a lazy indifference about the spiritual state of others may doubtless save us much trouble. To care nothing of our neighbors, whether they're going to heaven or hell, is no doubt the way of the world, but the attitude is very unlike Christ. So as Patty's reminding us of the need to care for one another, amen, How much more so caring for one another to care for the lost by pointing them to Christ? Don't we compartmentalize? I mean, how often do we go through the day realizing the eternity that sits in front of us, the joy for us who are saved, and the misery and torment for those who are not? Well, Jesus is weeping, and the people are celebrating. But I wonder what Jesus is seeing that we tend to be distracted from. Neglect by not battling the flesh. Forget what we're saved to. Forget what we're saved from. Forget who we are. You see, little by little, as Jesus becomes our most favored subject, we begin to desire what he desires, to seek to do his will. And he came to set captives free. And while we don't have the same power to do it, we have the same message of the gospel to do it. How much more delighting should we be in proclaiming this good news? Because while Jerusalem would be destroyed, the whole world going down, Jesus will come back. We'll get a positive spin, stick with me. So now Jesus entered the temple. What does that mean? What do you picture in your mind's eye when Jesus entered the temple? So it's a, a court structure meaning you come into the temple complex and this word temple different word than in luke one john the baptist daddy he went into the temple proper jesus temple complex two different words you want to know what they are it's really irrelevant different words comes in court of the gentiles go through the court of the gentiles court of the women so anyone can come in the court of the Gentiles. Only Jewish people can come into the court of the women. Then you go to the court of Jewish men. You can figure out who can go in there, right? Jewish men. Then the court of the priests. And then the temple proper, where the sacrifices were performed, where the holy place was, where the holy of holies was. So you have a concentric circle sort of layout. This is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. And he saw something when he came in. So the triumphal entry ended at dusk at the temple. And Jesus saw something he came back to deal with. Went to Bethany on Monday night, came back to the temple on Tuesday. And he says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they didn't find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his word. Here's what Luke doesn't tell you when you parallel account it together. Jesus went into the temple, and he started flipping tables, snapping whips, flipping stools, and throwing people out. Read Matthew and Mark and put it all together. Here's the thing. Think about what Jesus just did. This is not like semi-effeminate Jesus who never has wrinkles in his robes. Right? This isn't Jesus like, Me, contender is me, woe, behold, the temple has become a den of robbers, flee the area. Ugh, and he pushes the table over, and then he goes over to a stool, ugh. This is Jesus coming in angry. You ever realize Jesus got angry? That would be terrifying a little bit, wouldn't it? It's not like the, the Monty Python type Jesus. It's like, what is this? And he comes up and he takes a table. Boom! And he grabs a stool with, with some merchants sitting on it. Get off of this! And he grabs him by the back and he throws him out of the court of the Gentiles. Think about this. What's going on? When you came to the temple, you had to pay a temple tax and you're offering a sacrifice. You had to get the half shekel coin. You know where you got them? From the money changers. You ever go overseas and you're, you're changing currency? You know, you're going from America to England and you've got to go from dollars to pounds. And, and they're making a little money on you on the exchange. Well, you had to get the temple tax, the half, the half shekel and the money changers. they ah, oh, we got the temple coins for you. Come here, how many you need? I, I need four for my family. All right, well, that's going to be uh, three shekels. But wait, it should be two shekels, a half shekel, plus a half shekel, plus a half shekel, plus a half shekel, four, two, yeah, two. (laughs) Now it's three, you gotta pay the fee. Well, they, they had franchises for the money changers. Buy a franchise, make money. Oh, honey, this is expensive, let's go get our goat. So then they're walking over here, and they go, it's a lamb or a sheep, not a goat, whatever. So they go over here and they're like, let's take this one. That's gonna be fifty-two rupees. I don't know what the currency are. 52 so three fifty-two denarii. Well why didn't you bring your own sacrifice? You know I didn't bring your own sacrifice? Because it went like this. You had to have a priest approved sacrifice. So you bring little Toby the the the, the lamb that you raised. <laughs> that kid's crying, I love the lamb, shut up, we're killing it. <laughs> and they bring him up and the priest's gonna look at him. Huh. He got a hoof issue. This, this one ain't gonna work. Good news for you, I got a lamb I can sell you here. Bring the thing, 72 denarii. Well now you gotta buy. And see what happened was the animal sellers, they they had franchises too, all came from the high priest. High priest got a kickback on every sale of the temple tax coin and every sacrifice animal. And they did this in the court of the Gentiles. So you have Passover, literally hundreds of thousands, if not up to a million people in town And all this exchanging is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus walks in. Think about how many people are selling their stuff in the court of the Gentiles. So I'm just saying these folks are pretty corrupt and they're making good money. This is like the Christmas Eve of retail. One Jesus. Dozens, if not hundreds of these franchise owners. Why don't we see any pushback? You know, Saul swung mightily at the head of our Lord and the Lord bobbed and weaved. He threw an uppercut and removed his jaw in one swift blow. And from behind, two more tax collectors came with a stool. Why is there no pushback? How does he get everybody out? How does he stop this? Just envision what's going on when you see the strongest man who ever lived in unadulterated rage and fury, flipping tables, throwing coins, cracking a whip, and chucking people out. And they all ended up leaving. And no one laid a finger on Jesus. Who is this guy? But look what he says. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. What does that mean? My house shall be a house of prayer. Well, here's a good way to bring heresy to a text. Well, the temple is supposed to be a a house of prayer, a place of solitude and quiet and reflective contemplation. And with all the noise going on of these, these exchangers, it was bleeding animals and coins and loud noise and all sorts of craziness. And the temple is not supposed to be noisy, it's supposed to be peaceful. That's not all what this means. When, when, when Jesus said this, where's your mind go right away? Not in the same place the original hearers went. Can I show you some? Somebody say, nope, not interested. Go to Isaiah 56. And while you flip to Isaiah 56, bonus points to anyone who doesn't have to use a table of contents to get there. It says in verse 7, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And you go who's them what's he talking about and if you start in isaiah 56 1 and you bring it down to 56 8 i'll tell you what's going on god's house of prayer aka his temple on his holy hill has always been designed to be a place for people of every tribe and tongue and nation to come to worship god to be forgiven by god to be reconciled to god that's what the temple was all about evangelism to all the nations and what he's doing here in isaiah is he's addressing what has taken place in his temple in the time of isaiah it became a haunt of hooligans it became a a house where where commerce was taking place that shouldn't be taking place in other words here's what jesus is seeing the court of the gentiles is the only place non-jews are able to come and worship god to offer sacrifices to god and to praise god And these corrupt religious Jews have taken the court of the Gentiles and turned it into a a temple shop. They've turned it into a commerce center. And Jesus has no patience because they are robbing the world of the gospel he has entrusted to them. They're keeping people from God, and their corrupt system is doing this, and he will not stand for it. I don't want to spend too much time there because it gets uncomfortable. So shall we just move on real quickly? Let's go to the next thing. We'll come back to it. I'm not going that fast. Don't worry. What about the den of robbers? I mean, instantly, when I say den of robbers, you all say Jeremiah 7, right? Come on now. But the Jews would have because in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah is, is preaching a sermon. God told him to preach, interestingly, right from the temple gates. And rather than listen to me tell you what it says, why don't we go see what Jeremiah has to say. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Jeremiah 7, 1. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim, there is the word, and say, hear the word of the Lord. All you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this place. Don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. For the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Threefold repetition. Conversation for another day. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, fatherless or widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Now listen, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jesus is saying in the temple, the same context where Jeremiah preached his sermon, look what you have done. You hypocrites. You're robbing people. You're keeping the gospel from people. And then you show up in your courts. We love Yahweh, praise God. Jesus goes, I'm uh-uh, not having it. So now is the point where we, like, wag our fingers at the bad religious Jews. Shame, shame, shame on them. Thank God we're not like them. Mm. They were forsaking widows. They were abandoning orphans. They were neglecting the poor. And then showing up to worship God without a care in the world. It's kind of, if we put them all together, they're lazy or neglectful in their evangelism. They're greedy, materialistic moralists, and they have no love for the lost or for God. Now, hang on, because that just kind of hits me a little bit too close to home. I'm sure it doesn't affect any of you. How could you be lazy or neglectful in evangelism when we've been saved by this God to this God to delight in him, knowing he delights in us, and we get to share this with others? And we neglect it? I, I, uh. Greedy? after personal gain without considering the love of others or love of god to seek and do his way there here's the point of jesus jesus has no appetite for false worship now the problem in what what makes true worship true worship is not that you come pure it's that you come penitent do you see the difference there we have come to the to the table this morning for for communion You don't, if you're waiting to come to the table till you're like cleanse yourself from all sin, well, you need to be waiting a long, long time. You come to the table because we serve a God who has cleansed us and is cleansing us. True worship is a recognition of hypocrisy, a repentance from hypocrisy, and a crying out to God to help us overcome our hypocrisy, which is the antithesis of what the religious Jews were doing and then it tells us that jesus cleansed the temple and we know how he cleansed the temple because we've been doing this since march he used clorox wipe he used bleach and he used social distancing in the temple right how did jesus cleanse the temple What, what were his tools of cleaning do you notice that in the text he preached the gospel and taught the word of god was the cleansing tool that he brought to the temple And then notice this last section because the weird thing is jesus just showed up into the temple like he owned the place didn't he i mean he just kind of walked in like this is my place and i'm about to fix it up but who does he think he is walking in and telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing in the temple like he owns the place right and it's kind of what's going on it's not kind it's exactly what it's going on here when the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up to him and said to him in very polite religiosity who you think you are acting like you own the place it just said a little differently tell us by what authority you do these things what things flipping tables throwing people out and preaching the gospel tell us by what authority you do these things who is it that gave you this authority and i love jesus's answer because you would think he'd be like pulling up his sleeves like oh really Really, Mr. Scribe? But he says, All right, I'll ask you a question. Johnny B. Who is he from? That's what Jesus called John the Baptist. No, he didn't. Because see, now they say he's from God, that means that Jesus is the Messiah, because that would make John the forerunner of the Messiah, and that's what the people thought was going on, but if they say that, then Jesus' authority comes from God, and that's a problem for these scribes and Pharisees. Other side. They say, he's, he's a charlatan, he's just from man, he's not from God. Well, now they're going to have a problem because that's what they want to say, but then the people are going to have their heads lopped off because the people are all in a frenzy out there doing this Hosanna thing with the robes and stuff. So they can't say that because they'll be dead, so, so they can't answer Jesus. See what's going on here? And they're like, I, I, I know that you know, that you know that I know, that I don't think you, but, but no one's, so, so they're doing this dance. They say, answer him ah, we don't know we don't know where he came from and jesus says all right neither will i tell you by what authority i do these things but we know by what authority he did these things don't we he walked in the temple like he owned the place because he owned the place not only did he own the place i mean just marvel you go back to genesis we were watching family videos last night so this just popped in my head i will not name the child but we, we did Bible memory verse when they were young kids, and one of them was holding his Bible. In the beginning, God created. Uh, so, sorry, pray, pray for me, Genesis 1. As I'm saying it in normal adult tenor, this is how I hear it in my head. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And God created, Right? And as you read through genesis here's something you can chew on this week if you like everything's good what's the first thing that wasn't good you ever think about that god made this it was good god made this it was good god made this it was good and then all of a sudden he says it is not good well what was not good it was not good for man to be alone remember that so he made eve and and adam and eve are walking in the garden with who with god Fast forward. The scribes and the Pharisees are walking in the temple with who? You see something creepy here? Adam and Eve with God in the garden. The people in Jerusalem with God in the temple, but they don't know it's God. Not only do they not know it's God, it's this He is also the temple. You see, the temple was where you came to offer sacrifices, but there's the sacrifice. The temple is where you came to to be near the Shekinah glory of God, and and here is the Shekinah glory of God himself, Christ, the fullness of God, amen. They they don't realize what's going on. By what authority? By the authority of God himself, who Christ was. This is just crazy town here, because we are two days away, Three days away, I'm getting ahead of myself, three days away from Jesus dying. He's in the temple. The people have no idea what's going on. They don't recognize the tender love that God has for lost people such that he would cry on a donkey while the world around celebrates him because he alone knows in fullness and trueness who he is and the fate that awaits the lost. They they don't understand that we don't get to determine how to worship God. God tells us how he will be worshipped. And then they miss the fact that, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who told you that you could be in charge? And and here's where we're laying this text, and we'll pick it up next week with the incredible parable of the wicked tenants. I want to ask you a couple questions to think about and chew on that are all going to be hyper-dependent upon how well you know Jesus. Ready? Question one, and you can just listen to me and never think about him again, but I'd encourage you, hang on to him. Do you ever question or challenge or refuse the authority of Jesus? Who do you think you are to tell me what I need to do? Now, here's the danger. You're not going to hear an audible response. You're not going to be sitting at your kitchen table and find your table flipped. I don't suspect Jesus would flip the table of one of his children, but that's a conversation for another day. You see, the difference between us and the money changers and the corrupt people in the court of the Gentiles, you know what the difference is? We're better than they are, right? You know what the difference is? Grace, mercy, and regeneration. But we're still a whole lot like them. And unless we realize how like them we are, We're going to have a heck of a time battling the flesh to realize that inside of me maybe it's just me maybe you guys are way further along maybe i'm the only one my life is marked daily by a battle where the flesh inside of me wants to say to jesus mind your business stay in your lane don't you dare try to tell me what i need to do who do you think you are and then the spirit that goes oh my goodness you are one sick Fool, why would you talk in such a way? Why would you think in such a way? How can you not realize who this Jesus is? How much he loves you, what he desires for you, and the authority that he has over you. Am I the only one? Because if we don't think about it, we just kind of go with it. Where in your life are you, are you refusing, questioning, or challenging the authority of Jesus? And then the better question on the back end is, why would you? Have you forgotten who who this Christ is? How much he loves you? What he's done for you? What he's promised to you? The the love he has for you? The delight he takes in you? Where he is leading you? But if you're not aware of those areas, well, you're going to struggle. Another question. Do you ever fail to worship God as he calls you to? See, American Christianity, going back in time to the temple, we'd be showing up two days late for Passover. Sorry, I was on a vacation. I got great airfare. I was in Nevada, but I'm back now. I'm going to do my Passover stuff now. Um, No, it's not Passover time. Who cares what It's we do Passover now, right? You come to the temple and your, your kid's like, Mommy, Daddy, I want to see the Holy of Holies. Come on, let's go in. Little kids talk like Mickey Mouse. That's a great idea. Come in, and the high priest like, don't go in there. You're going to drop that. Oh, give me a break. God is merciful and gracious. I'm going in, and we have a little bit of a problem. Our lives are so conformed to a culture that works around convenient worship of God. Maybe if you just stop and slow down for a minute. Do you ever marvel at the selections that we have for worship? 8:30 is too early, so we'll offer a 9:30. And 9:30, that might be too many old people, so we'll offer a 10:30. And then we'll offer an 11:30. and a Saturday evening one too at 5 in case you want to go out and drink too much and don't want to get up on Sunday. We'll have this type of music in this service, and this type of music in this service, and this type of program in this service, and these sorts of amenities in this service, and we'll give you free Wawa gift cards and wonderful food if you'll come to this service. And wait a minute. Where do we sit down and ask the Lord himself, how do you call us to worship you? And why would we not want to worship God in spirit and truth as he saves us too, knowing that he delights in that, that we have the ability by grace through faith to bring joy and delight to God? What are the sacrifices we might ask that God wants from us? I'll let you go to your concordance in the back of your Bible and find that. But where where do we, and I don't mean just on Sundays, where do we in all of life fail to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God? And I'll tell you why we do. You ready for the easy answer? Because we forget the marvelous truths of Romans one through Romans eleven. Before God calls us to Romans twelve, we forget how we were saved, who we were, what we are who christ is what he has saved us to and we don't marvel at these things that's where this all starts with how well do we know christ and last i'll give you this one just to chew on because i've been chewing on it all week do you truly grieve the state and fate of the lost and seek to point them to christ I mean, think about relationships that you have, and and I don't even know if anyone in in the world has relationships anymore because we've all had to stay at home forever, right? How do you view relationships with people? As things entrusted to you by God to point them to the manifest glory of God, so as those who are saved, they might delight in him? Or for those who aren't saved, not just to fix them up with some, some biblical benefits, but to prayerfully and repetitively and joyfully and pleadingly point them to Christ for salvation? Or are people just kind of commodities to be enjoyed and consumed for our benefit? And if you don't see the struggle, you're forgetting the flesh and the spirit at war within you. You see, the world can be really fancy and alluring or scary and demanding. But this world is not all there is. Eternity waits for all of us. So we'll finish where we started. What's your favorite subject? Who do you think about most of all? And you see, here's the scary thing in the flesh. The answer is me. But you know who I worship in the flesh? Me. I I seek to do my will. I seek to serve me as God I seek to have people bow down and worship me and if they don't I have a divine responsibility to let them know they need to repent and do what I tell them to and if you don't believe me you can ask Laura my finest moments that's me but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus that in Luke 19 it tells me that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost me that God didn't come for the righteous, but the unrighteous, me. That, that God came to save enemies, me. And not only make us friends make us positionally perfect but practically to conform us into his image so that i don't try to serve me but i begin to serve him and love others as well so that i see other people not as commodities to be consumed but image bearers in need of reconciliation to god and where where i get to see reality for what reality is that who is this jesus he is god I look through this text here; it just blows my mind. The different glimpses and glances we get at Jesus, and they probably should be done in three sermons. But we got to get through Luke before we get out of COVID nineteen. That's my goal. The fra- and it's the gospel is a diamond, right? Christ, even more so. So many facets to marvel at. It's almost like I've never got this. As I get older, I get a little better. Any art people here, like people that enjoy artwork? You go to a museum, let's say you enjoy paintings. Some people, they, and that's why they have like these benches in art museums. Those are not for like people when they get winded because the museum is so big you just can't take it anymore. That's what I thought they were for. Go to like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. You could sit down and look at a Monet or a Manet, and some people just like looking for an hour. They like looking at at the, the texture of the paint, The color, the flow of the the art, the composition as a whole. They're they're just marveling at, they're almost pulling a story that that the artist is is writing by a paintbrush, right? Hmm. How much more so Christ? God in his word paints a picture of truth for us of who Christ is not in totality because that wouldn't fit but in truth and we see a grief for the lost and i am so glad jesus has grief for the lost because through that grief he saved me and he saved you he loves lost people in such a way that he would lay down his life for his own a tearful or a triumphal entry i don't know which one's a better title I see the passion Christ has for true worship. If he has a passion for God to be worshipped in truth, how much more so should I, as his, have a desire and a passion to worship God in spirit and truth? And I see the authority that he has overall. Who do you think you are coming into this temple and telling people what you're telling them? What an audacious question. Why didn't he just sort of like pull open his his flesh and expose the Shekinah glory of God in full. Like, you really want to know the answer to that question? It would kill you to know. But the fact that we get, listen to this, to disobey God and not die? We, We who are saved have disobeyed God, deserve eternal condemnation and receive eternal life, And then as those who are saved, we still disobey God. But what does he do with us? He doesn't discard us. He may discipline us. He doesn't discard us. He sanctifies us. Why? Because he is gracious, merciful, powerful, and glorious. Friends, may we all fight deliberately In a world that seeks to distract us mightily, may we all fight to gaze upon the reality of who God is, who we are in Christ, and what he has saved us to. There's a world full of lost people. My mask ain't going to save you. But this gospel will maybe for a period of time i got to share the gospel through a mass but may we be diligent and deliberate in sharing the gospel and i don't just mean with the lost i mean with one another because we so quickly and easily forget this good news of great joy this god his name is jesus he loves us perfectly and fully and we have all we need in him who is unshakable and unchangeable. I'm going to pray before you all run out on me because I feel like I preach too long. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, help us to see you in truth. Help us to see you with clarity. Help us to to, to get the junk of the gunk of sin out of our eyes so we might gaze upon you. Lord God, we are hot messes. And I pray that you would, by the, your power, Holy Spirit, help us to see the junk and the funk of sin that we got clinging to us. And that you would give us a vile disdain and disgust with it. That you would help us see the devil delighting in us sinning. And you grieving over it. But not in a hopeless way, in a sovereign way. Where by the power of your Spirit we are not captive to sin. You do not see us in our identity through sin and you have made a way for us to overcome sin. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to joyfully submit to your rule and reign. Help us to joyfully worship you as you call us to by your word. Help us to see other people as you see them. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to see ourselves for who we are in you. Lord, I wonder if someone asked us to tell them about ourselves. If our response would be something like, I'm a child of God. I am dearly loved by my heavenly Father. I am cared for perfectly, provided for perfectly. I have a glorious inheritance that I cannot even tell you in full about. I have purpose in life. I struggle in all sorts of ways, but my heavenly Father is so kind that even though I don't know what he's doing, he is using all of these struggles for his glory and my goodness. He conforms me to the image of Christ. I wonder, Lord God, if that's how we would tell people in describing ourselves. I fear we too often forget that's who we really are in Christ. Help us to remember that, Lord God. Help us to remind one another of that. Help us to marvel at your love and grace and mercy and compassion. Help us to recognize, Lord, that you are a serious God, that, that you are not a pushover. You are unshakable and unmovable. Your word is truth. Your commandments are serious. And your love is even more so. Lord, help us to see the sin of failing to submit to your authority, but also see the lunacy and stupidity of it. For why would we not want to joyfully submit to your commands, which are simply invitations to joy in life? For, Lord, in the flesh we think of you as a harsh taskmaster too often, but in the spirit we know you as a gentle and lowly and kind and compassionate friend, a merciful and just God, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, a perfect father, a powerful helper, an ever-present help in times of trouble lord jesus help us holy spirit i pray that you would work in your power to implant deeply in our hearts whatever you intend for us today from this text help what is ever simply for me to be quickly forgotten and for your glory sanctify us lord god help us to marvel at you rejoice in you and delight in walking with you for your glory in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we're going to come forward and we're going to take communion. And as we do, let's just take a moment to marvel at the fact that we actually get to do this. Right? It's, it's the, the fact that we get to come forward at Jesus' command and do this in remembrance of him until he returns and we get to dine with him face to face at a whole different table. One of the reasons he calls us to do this is because we so quickly forget. We so quickly forget who we were and who we are. We so quickly forget who he is, what he's done, and what he continues to do. We so quickly forget that, yes, he came, but he's also coming back. We so quickly forget the incredible love he has for us And that he laid down his life for us as his friends. That cracker reminds us the very life of Christ lived on our behalf. His body for us as a man living the perfect life required of us. Do you ever marvel at that? If you read your resume before God, do you know what your resume would say? Perfect. Is that how you think of yourself? Perfect. Perfect. Like, obeyed all of God's commandments perfectly. That's what my resume says. Because that's what my Savior did on my behalf. The the, the penalty for my sin, what happened with that? Where'd that go? Well, grab the cup. Because Jesus shed his blood, meaning he laid down his life for us. He, He took the punishment that we deserved. Paid in full. That's what my receipt says when I go to God. what did it cost me nothing and everything it it cost me losing my life to save my life but I didn't pay a thing for it it was a gift freely received freely given not freely received I couldn't even grasp it I had a dead hand The, the, the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to grasp it my friends marvel at that don't let the world tell you what your identity is the world gives us so many wrong identities right Let God give you your identity, dearly loved, precious, secure, paid in full, perfect before God, eternally secure. It is finished as far as positional perfection before God. It's not yet finished because we are being sanctified by God himself. And coming forward is simply one in a series of thousands of steps in the in the process of god sanctifying us as we walk in obedience to him i always marvel at at when churches take the lord's supper together there are different ways some churches approach it. some have what's called closed communion gotta be a card carrying member baptized into a particular church to come forward and take communion and that's one of the ways they think they keep the table safe no false professors come forward that way you got to have your card we'll check your id coming forward and we'll let you know if you're paid in full and and ready to go others it's it's much more casual it's like if if you have any idea who jesus is come on forward and and make sure you all come because it's going to look really awkward if you sit out there And, and i've been in those shoes i remember going to church with with laura's family and and, and being like the one, the one lone one, even right before I came to faith, like that one lone soul in the church, everyone else goes for communion, you're just sitting there like this. And you know everybody's looking at you, and you're wondering, wow, he must be a really bad dude, he doesn't even take communion. wonder if he killed somebody yesterday. What, what are his six sins? Why it? It's just an awkward feeling, isn't it? That's a gift from the Lord. Because as uncomfortable as that might be to have the eyes of people on you, How much more so to know the eye of the Lord is constantly upon you? But while people might walk by going, that's one sick soul. That's not what the Lord's thinking. The Lord's thinking, that's a precious soul. That's a soul that I offer salvation to. And that's a smart soul. Because they're not mocking me. They're feeling the weight of who he is. Here's what it's going to cost you to come forward. The very life of Christ accredited to your account. That's the only thing. It's not a a membership, not not a particular church you're baptized into, not not things you've done. It's simply the finished work of Christ applied to your life by grace through faith. And if you have trusted in Christ for salvation, the table has been made open to you because the curtain has been torn from top to bottom in the temple. And as we come forward, let's marvel at that. That God made a way for us to come to Him. And He will return and come back for us unless He calls us home before that day. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died the death we deserve. And He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And before He ascended, He said, Do this in remembrance of me until I come again. You got three tables. Come on forward down the center. Go back on the outside. Be as comfortably distant as you like. Everything is sanitized and prioritized on the individual napkins. I wish we'd been doing that for 15 years prior to COVID-19. Let's pray, and then I'll have you come forward. We'll close with a song and a benediction. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, help us as we come to your table. Strengthen us through your sacrament. Encourage us in your truth, remind us of our identity in you, and help us to gaze more fully upon the reality of who you are, how kind and gracious and generous you are, Lord God, the fact that you've not only saved us, but you've chosen us to be with you forever and did everything that needed to be done so that we could and would lord help us lord strengthen us lord comfort us lord sanctify us for your glory in your holy and precious name we pray lord jesus amen i invite you to come forward